And welcome back. It's another edition of Mile High Magazine, and I am Murphy Houston. Hope you're enjoying it. Well, I guess this is a holiday weekend. It's been so many of them, but we kind of like that. Our special guest today is Dr. Hunter Kennedy, the Executive Director of Footprints to Recovery in Colorado. Can I just call you Hunter? Is that okay, Doc? Or do you want Doctor? Either side. <laughs> you seem kind of laid back. I'm pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, Hunter is good. So, you know, really, I've been in Denver for a long time, and I have never heard of Footprints to Recovery. So why don't we just educate our friends as to what that's all about? Sure. Uh, Footprints to Recovery has been in the Colorado market now for a few years. So that's started out east and kind of has worked its way this way. And we specialize in dealing with people that are dealing with addiction and co-occurring mental health disorders. And we have day and evening programming and are serving adult populations. Do you deal just with adult populations? 18 and up. Oh, well, that's pretty close to being young, too, I guess, right. for some people. So what kind of addictions are we talking about? I'm sure the same ones you hear about, or are there other ones that aren't as familiar? Yeah, I mean, it's been, uh, there's always the alcohol problem. That's always 50% of all of the addiction that's going on because it's so culturally prevalent. Sure. Uh, but nowadays, I mean, with all the uh, opioids and, you know, the medications that are being prescribed and people Boy. are very easily able to get a hold of leftovers or somebody else's pills and that's become people have no idea pain management uh, meds and medications are just they're so addictive five to seven days of taking a prescription and next thing you know you just become reliant on it and you just need that hit and fix so pills have become a big issue and then when people can't get those they usually turn to other opiates like heroin that's what i heard you know, i do uh, another broadcast that deals with senior health and I heard here in Denver, maybe you've heard this as well, I'm sure you have, that once the seniors are taken off their pain pills, they're out looking for heroin in Denver. Right. I mean, and people have no idea. I mean, you think uh, it's prescribed by a doctor, it's the big pharma, and people have no idea how addictive these things are. I mean, it literally alters your brain chemistry. It changes the pathways, the neuroreceptors. And, I mean, when you don't have it, you are just, your brain is screaming at you, you know, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, I need it, I need it. And then yeah. there's mood and, you know, mood-enhanced disorders that come from a lack of, and so it just, be, it's it's just difficult, very hard. And when you talk about some of the mental disorders we hear about, I would imagine depression is probably one of those? Oh, depression, anxiety. I mean, it's stress management. I mean, people are, you know, how we are. We're looking for that quick fix. And we, you know, instead of going to therapy for six months, oh, take this pill and you'll sure. feel relaxed and sure. feel better. And next thing you know, you're, again, altering your brain chemistry and you're learning a new habit, new behavior. So it becomes part habit, it becomes part brain chemistry, and then it's just altering you and you are you know and that and that's one of those age-old things which comes first the depression and the anxiety and we're looking for medication to feel better or is it the you know addiction that kicks up and then when we don't have it we're depressed and anxious so that's wow. part of what we're dealing with is trying to separate what's mental health and what's addiction so what kind of programs are you offering well let's just back up a bit do people stay 
at your residence, or they, is it a day thing and you go home and you come back and you go home kind of a thing? Right. And no, we are a day treatment program. Okay. And so I've worked in many different facilities. I started in hospitals and then I've worked in residential settings. The problem is, is that you can get sober in 30 days, but you're not going to stay that way. Really? And yeah. so what we run is after you get sober, you can come in and you can receive day treatment for extended periods of time. It's much more affordable. A lot less expensive than the residential treatments, but you get that ongoing treatment and you're dealing with therapists and you're dealing with medication management and professionals that are working with you to help you have a long-term solution to the problem. And so the average length of stay is 60 to 90 days. And then, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say length of stay, the average length of treatment. Sure. And you can then ex- cut down and cut back to one day a week, two days a week, come in the evenings. And so you can get ongoing service that's a lot more dependable and reliable as far as actually making a change. Well, I imagine that follow-up is important. I can't imagine somebody would walk out in 90 days, hey, thanks, Doc, I'll never need you again. Right. I'd be a little worried about that. Well, and see, the thing with addiction is is that you're not only just treating the addiction, but you're teaching someone how to have a new lifestyle. You're teaching them how to avoid situations and what we call triggers. Uh, you know, you have to create a new sober network. You have to create new habits, new patterns. You have to understand, you know, yourself really well right. and know the things inside of you that are your own downfalls and your own pitfalls that you have to work on. Well, is it the first thing they have to admit they've got a problem? Absolutely. Because if you don't, you're not going to get treatment. No, no. You know, and many people, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. But the statistics, I mean, the average person probably goes through four to seven treatments before they actually get it. And the first time, I mean, I, I tell this, we have so many younger people nowadays. Sure. That 18 to 25 population is just exploding out there in the addiction world. But the problem is, is that they come in and then they get sober. And after 30 days of sobriety, you start thinking, I got this. I'm good. Yeah. You know, I, I feel good. I feel healthy. I haven't used in 30 days. And what they don't do is they don't understand that when you go back to where you came from, you have the same old patterns, the same old habits, the same friends, the right. same connections, the same family dynamics or whatever the situation was that was setting you off in the first place. And none of that's changed. And so then very quickly, I mean, usually I would say after 30 days of treatment, very often within the first couple of days, if not a week, uh, that individual has probably fallen back into old habits. Uh, I would imagine you have to talk about that. Say, okay, we're going to help you with whatever, but you need to make these changes. As you just mentioned, once you're done here, there's bigger changes you're probably going to have to make to stay where you are now. It is uh, life-altering. And so part of what we do with people as we you know, move through the program, towards that last 30 days, what you're really doing is working on your own relapse protection plan. You know, What are the things you're going to face? What are the things we need to address? What are the issues that are going to crop up for you that are likely going to send you spiraling or may tempt or lead you? Whether it's changing friends, whether it's getting family therapy, whether it's changing your living, your location, you have to change your habits and your patterns. And it's that 
initial arrogance that I would say, oh, oh I got this. <laughs> I, I got this. I'm good. Yeah. And then they get out and they tell themselves little things like the addict is literally it's like a second entity that lives in the back of your head. And it sits there and says, come on, you got this. You're fine. You can have just right, one. Right. And then you have one drink, which leads to another drink and another. And next thing you know, you're off the rails and you're spiraling down. And now you feel guilty and terrible and shameful. And then you start drinking even more. Do you see, in most cases, the family involved with getting the person that has the issue to you? And then do they get involved with the therapy? A mom or a dad or an aunt and uncle or a sister, brother, whoever. And it varies. And so it really depends on what's going on, what the situation, because every situation is a little unique. One of the things that we really focus on is meeting the person where they are. And so what I mean by that is, is that people come in for all different forms of reasons with problems, with issues. It could be job and finances, could be relational, could be mental health. And it could just be good old fashioned. Oh, I got injured six months ago and I took pain meds and now I'm addicted. Yeah. And so there's all kinds of different scenarios that would require different forms of treatment. But the answer to your question is, is that whatever is necessary, that's what we have to figure out and ferret out. Now, the problem with what we're talking about is that if somebody makes you come to treatment, it's not going to work. I mean, the bottom line is, is that you can initiate, but if that, if we can't get that person engaged in their own recovery and in their own treatment process, it's just not going to take, they're going to end up doing time, you know, just clicking off the days and they're not going to engage. And I'm very straightforward and tell all these guys the same thing that you'll get out of this exactly what you put into it. Oh, interesting. If you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to dig deep, if you're willing to really rotate your garden, you know, you'll get a lot out of this and you'll plant new seeds. But if you are unwilling and if you're just going through the motions and you're just sitting here taking up a chair and not really doing the hard work, you're likely going to end up right back where you started. So how does the how does the program begin? You come into you you're just walking in the door to footprint How does it start? Well, and, you know, we'll do an assessment. And so the bottom line is is that there's lots of different levels. And, I mean, there are people that have been addicted for years and functioning fine. And it's just, you know, it's typically progressive. And so it typically gets worse and worse and worse. Um, You end up, you know, day drinking. And at first you're fine. And then it ends up and you lose your job. You get that DUI. You, you know, what have you. So it's typically progressive because it's just you need more and more and more as your body builds up tolerances. And then it just gets a runaway train. So what we do is we do an assessment and we figure out where somebody is and what level of care is the most appropriate for them. Now, we offer three different levels of care at our facility. And we go through, they call it PHP, partial hospitalization, which is basically Monday through Friday. It's like a day job. Okay. You know, you're going nine to three, Monday through Friday and going through the, you know, going through the routines. And then we have an intensive outpatient program, and that's like three-hour days, and so it's like half days. Uh, And then we also have an evening program, which is three days a week for that working person who wants to or, you know, that has kids and responsibility that just needs help and needs assistance three days a week, three hours a night, and it's just more intense. And then we do the outpatient, and that's usually one or two days a week. They have a therapist. They come into groups, and they're just following up. And we do, you know, drug and alcohol monitoring and checks. 
Um, but if people are at a higher, you know, there are some that require medical detox. You know, I mean, alcohol and opioids are some of the tougher ones where you actually may spend a little time underneath medical supervised 24-7 just to make sure that you're safely detoxing. Sure. And so then those can be done at, you know, the hospital setting and such. And then after that, then we would be like a follow-up program. Oh, I see. Or if people are not that addicted and bad, if they don't need that medical 24-7, I mean, we will medically assist people. We're one of the few that does medically assisted treatment. So there are very often times where we're prescribing medication or giving injections or doing various things to help the person's brain, you know, basically block those cravings and those urges so they can actually be in treatment long enough without ferreting themselves out and taking off. Wow, there's a big process to this. There's a lot to it. Talk about your staff a little bit. Are they all doctors or what is that? What What is their medical background? Yeah, well, the staff varies a lot. I mean, we have, uh, of course, licensed clinicians on staff, and they're kind of orchestrating and overseeing the overarching treatment. And what they're going to do is basically do a history, get a family history. They're the ones that are going to find out what exactly that individual needs. Okay. Do they need medically assisted treatment? Do they need a doctor? Do they need to have family therapy? Do they need marriage and family counseling? You know, what is it that this individual is going to need to sustain long-term recovery? Right. And so each one of our therapists have a different skill set. So we we have trauma specialists, we have cognition specialists, we have experiential, you know, just all the different aspects that a person might need, and then they get associated and get assigned to an individual that's most appropriate for their issue. But then we have uh, psychiatric nurse practitioners that are able to prescribe medications, and we'll do psychiatric management along with medically assisted treatments. And overarching, we have assessments for all the different levels to see where people are, what they need. And then we're just kind of trying to stair-step them through. And then we use a lot of outside. We're holistic in nature. So I have a yoga instructor that comes in. Oh, really? Yep. We're all about mindfulness, trying to train people how to get the brain firing in a new way and trying to do it without drug and alcohol. We have a peer support specialist, which try and teach them, take them to meetings, get them infiltrated into that sober community, teach them how to have sober fun, take them out. Uh, we have a chiropractor that you know does adjustments, Interesting. body, mind, and spirit. So we're trying to get people, uh, you know, holistic in health. We have acupuncturists that are offering depression, anxiety. Uh, AccuDetox is a very popular uh, feature now. You can just <laughs> Unbeknownst to most, you can actually put acupuncture in the ear in about seven different locations, and the body detoxes much quicker than it does naturally on its own. Wow. Who discovers that? Yeah. (laughs) Chinese, 5,000 years worth of medicine. That is just crazy. We're talking with Dr. Hunter Kennedy, Executive Director of Footprints to Recovery in Colorado. How long have you guys been in Denver area? We've been in Denver for a little over two years now. So you're pretty new. Yeah. So, I mean, back in the, you know, we started in the East Coast. I mean, we have locations in New Jersey and Illinois and have just moved west. And so we'll just 
trying to do what we can to get as many people as we can into treatment and on a new path. Sounds like a lot of experience, though, with what you've been doing. It is. I mean, and there's a ton to it. I mean, I started off in mental health and really found when I was working in a psychiatric hospital that there's a union. You know, I mean, which one is this? Is this mental health presenting because of substance or are people using substances to address and treat their own mental health? And so very often there is some underlying untreated, whether it be depression or anxiety or something going on, trauma is very associated, you know, when people haven't dealt with it and haven't worked through it. And so it, there, there's a lot of instances where people are actually just trying to numb out, trying to avoid, trying to escape, trying Avoid's not to Avoid's the big feel. word, I think. Avoid yeah. life. This right. tough thing. You must see some unbelievable situations. And lots of really sad stories, but everybody's got one. Yeah, you're right. You know, the question is, what do you do with it? Exactly. Just keep taking it, or, or what do you do with it? So let's just take a little step here. People are... Probably, like you said, everybody's got something. They want to find out more about Footprints. Is there a website? Absolutely. Somebody they can talk to, not a a recorded message, an actual person they can talk to? Well, a couple of very simple things. But, yes, our admissions line is open all the time. It's 855-628-2899. They can talk to a live person. They can get a scheduled assessment done and come into one of our centers. Um, but our website is easily accessible, footprintstorecovery.com. And on that website, there are resources available. There are, you know, information about our centers and about the type of treatment and how we do and what we do. And we'll just, we're open to working with anyone who needs help. And if we're not the right fit, you know, I mean, I'm actually trained as an assessor and a psychologist and we'll, we're affiliated with companies all through the front range at all different levels of care with all different locations. And so we're very happy to help people find what they need if we're not the right fit. And you deal with people in it's not just in the metro area, the right. entire state, the whole region, various states. How yeah. big is it? And that's uh, it. It really depends on what the individual needs. I mean, the bottom line is, is that we're uh, even though we're not residential, we're affiliated with a group of what we call sober living homes. And these are people that we've been working with right. and have established relationships with. And so individuals many times will actually come up from the Springs or Fort Collins or come down out of the mountains, uh, even from other states. We've got people flying in. We pick them up from the airport, wow. bring them in. They go stay at the sober living house and we provide transportation to and from back and forth for treatment every day and they're able to come in and get what they need and then we work with them what's your next step what's your next step do you need your own place are you going back home then we'll help set up resources wherever it is they're going because it really is it's a methodical planned process from beginning to end and even then when that end i mean i I always tell people when they come in you know i mean your treatment is going to be while you're here your recovery is going to be for the rest of your life exactly i was just thinking that very thing that never ends even though it ends it doesn't end right you just keep working with them and that's it and and many times relapse is so common and you know i mean you get out you think you've got it you've got some coping skills but then that one thing happens or you lose that job or that relationship or that emotional turmoil that's something that just kicks up and overloads you and you know you throw your hands up and you end up going back to the old friend as it were sure 
and then people relapse. It's very common. And so what we want to do is understand it happens, call us, get back on the bus, get back where you were, and get back on the trail. And how are your services paid for? You take insurance? Is it Medicare? Or, or are you a nonprofit? You're probably not a nonprofit. No, we're a for-profit company, and but, we're very apt at working with all different clients at all different situations because, really, I mean, it's a service-oriented industry. We are trying to provide a value-added service to the people. I mean, Footprints was started by a gentleman who had this in his life with a friend, wow. and he started it and wanted to actually build a company that actually served and helped others. But we take all the major insurances. We're in network with TRICARE. Um, we're actually working in network with Humana and a couple of others. And so we're pretty accessible. But we've even set up payment plans for people and whatever it takes. Sounds like the bottom line is, yeah, you're trying to make some money, but you're really trying to help. Trying to make a change. Yeah. And that's really kind of our staple. What we hang our hat on is we're looking for the individual to have a transformational experience, not just getting sober, because anybody can get you sober, keep you up, you know, out of the liquor store for 30 days. But if you don't have that transformational experience, if you don't have that internal change, if you don't change the way you think, if you don't inflate your spirit and get yourself something to be excited and happy about in life again, sure, sure. you're not going to stay that way. No, you're, I agree with that. You often hear that this time of the year, the holiday time, is the toughest for people that might have depression or might have a, some other part of addiction. Do you find that true? Oh, absolutely. I mean, number one, the holidays are culturally, at least in our country, uh, you know, I mean, it's make merry, celebrate, rum and eggnog, have a New Year's Eve party. (laughs) I mean, you know, wake up and have mimosas on Christmas Eve while you open the presents. I mean, it's so it's, you know, it's embedded in our culture. Um, But aside from that, when you get into the family dynamics, you get into all the individuals that have unresolved family issues, then family is forced together. And you have these rifts that pop up and people get upset or irritated. Or on the flip side, you have people that are facing depression and anxiety and you have lost loved ones and you have lost relationships and you have divorce and you have separated families and that just brings up loneliness and isolation which is depression and that isolation and depression are drug and alcohol's best friend yeah i'll bet i'll bet that's tough can you maybe give us the signs of someone who's battling an addiction sort of if somebody's out there listening, I think that might be happening to my friend or my child. Sure. Well, and there's all different levels. And so and the thing I can tell you is the quicker you decide to do something about it, the easier it's going to be for you to make new habits and make change. And so there is everything from the binge drinker user who, you know, every weekend or every other weekend just, you know, hitting it and hitting it hard all weekend long and then recovering for a couple of days to the every night, every evening functioning social alcoholic who drinks and or uses just when it's a, you know, they have a normal job, a normal day, they go through the day, they put the kids in bed and then 
have a few drinks and then on the weekends maybe drink a little more to the individual who is drinking in the morning when they wake up to not have the shakes or to not feel bad and they're drinking in the evening or they're drinking all through the day. I mean, so there's all kinds of different levels of addiction and where people are, which is very much why we want to do an assessment. We want to talk with you. We want to figure out what you need to get started. And then once you get into the process, I mean, it's very simple. You can start at one level and if you're good, then you're good. Yeah. And as you get better, you step down. We run a stairway program. So we go from more to less, to less, to less, to less, to get you on your own. But if people come in and they're not at a high enough level, we'll quickly find out because what we're doing is not working. They're not able to stay sober. They're not able to stay off their drug of choice. And so then we will talk with them and recommend that they go the other direction and bump up in service and get a little more intensive for a while. And so it's very much of a process of working with the individual. So if somebody is out there now thinking, I think I really need to do something, can that individual reach out? with a concern about somebody else to get some questions answered? They can get some questions answered. They can check on our website. You know, one of the big reasons, you know, that really pushes me to do this, you know, in the situations in the past where I've worked, there is always those family members. They would come to family night or family meetings, and they would just have no educational idea about what to do, about how to deal with it. And what happens is when you get drugs and alcohol involved in the family system, it totally derails the entire family system. And now it becomes about the addict. It becomes about the behaviors. It becomes about, I mean, the lying, the manipulating, the stealing to get the drugs and the alcohol. I mean, there's just the hiding, the shame. And I mean, literally, it is the addict, it's like Jekyll and Hyde. You know, you got this person that you've known your whole life that you love and care for, and you want to help them with everything you've got. But then you've got this addict, and this addict is this lying, manipulating, uh, hiding in the shadows. It's, It's a shell of the individual that you know and love, and you're trying to help the addict. And the addict doesn't want your help, can't accept your help, can't see the help. And it becomes this push-pull between when this person is sober, apologizing, I'm sorry, I won't do this again. Because they mean it when they say that. But then when the addict kicks in and they go back to using, they are off and literally feeding the beast. And the beast is the one that people are trying to help. And yet the individual is the only one who can be helped. And so it's very tricky for the families, for parents. I see them all the time. They come in blaming themselves. What did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? Oh, sure. And so for you families, all I can tell you is it's not your fault. What happened, happened. And they chose what they chose, and they are where they are. And all you can do is offer assistance. Well, I think you said something very key to this, doctor, earlier. The sooner the better. That you get that help. Don't let it drag out and fight it, the beast, yourself. Absolutely. And you can't. You know, people try to white-knuckle it. And, you know, that may work for a while. But it is only a matter of time. And it's like, it's very... I've been seeing so many people. Here's the best I can describe it. The difference between the person who drinks and maybe drinks too much and really the addict is the level of degree of how much control you have. Sure. And with addicts, it's a switch. 
you know, once you have wow, that right, first drink, right. you need your second, your third, your fourth, and it's just on. And where other individuals are just like, nah, I don't feel like a drink. I don't want to drink, you know, and, and that's just a, there's just something in the brain. Sure. I mean, AA and all the processors call it the gene. And they've <sighs> literally associated and found that the addictive gene is passed down through bodies and through, you know, DNA. Right, right. And I had a professor in college once who said this very simple thing, which I find 100% true. He's like, you have to have two things. You have to have the genetic predisposition, and then you have to have the activating event that turns it on. Ooh. And that's usually that's what food for you thought find right there in the addiction. Well, before we wrap up here, I'm so intrigued with what you're saying. I almost forgot to talk about the Socks of Love campaign. What's that all about? Yeah, well, very much as us being footprints sure. to recovery. <laughs> um, we're all trying to give back, trying to be part of the community as well. And so in the holidays, what we found was, is we've been doing this for three years now, when we went to the um, missions and the you know donation centers and such and said, hey, what do you need? What are you lacking? They all said socks. Everybody gives coats, sure. everybody gives pants, everybody gives shirts, old stuff that's too small or doesn't fit anymore, but nobody's given socks. And so when you think about the cold and the Colorado and time now, yeah, can you, you need imagine? Socks. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine walking around out there right now being homeless and not having socks? No, not me. Well, no. and frostbite, and this was a, such a big problem. So we decided, Footprints, we're going to make socks our thing. And so Socks of Love is our campaign. We've been doing it now. This is our third year doing it. And what we do is we go to our website, and underneath the Resources tab, you can actually, for $8.50, you can place an order, cost next to nothing, and they'll actually send us the socks, and we make donations directly to Samaritan House here in Denver, dealing with all the homeless. Oh, yes. That's a good one, too. And we're doing it in all of our other locations. We're affiliated with such. And so we just take socks, and we're donating socks to the homeless. Well, it's on that website. So let's uh, regroup here a little bit, Doctor. By the way, it's Dr. Hunter Kennedy, Executive Director of Footprints 2 Recovery in Colorado. What's the website? www.footprints2recovery.com. That's T-O. T-O. And you can get a lot of questions answered there, and you can... Donate socks. <laughs> Donate socks. And what are they like? Sweat socks or colorful it, socks or what are they? Any type of socks. All we ask is that they be in good regard. New is preferable without <laughs> holes in them, so they actually do the job of keeping the foot warm. And also, uh, you mentioned you had uh, like an emergency line if there's questions or a problem. Yes, our phone number is eight five five six two eight. Two eight nine nine eight five five six two eight two eight nine nine. We'll get somebody on the phone and be manned and get you help. And where are you located? Never well, asked that. Uh, thank you. Yeah, uh, we're located in Centennial, right down the street. Oh we're, yeah, you're close. Yeah, we're on Arapaho and Peoria, basically, and uh, right over by Centennial I was Airport. Say Centennial, yeah. And we've got a nice little uh, structure there. It's modernized, nice building. We have uh, quite a lot of space and were easily accessible. Well, Dr. Hunter Kennedy, thanks for coming in today. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I mean, you really opened my eyes up on some situations you don't think about. And you have you had the answers. Well, it's good. And that's what we're trying to provide to the individuals out there that don't know what to do, don't know where to turn, don't know who to call. Perfect. And thank you guys for listening. Another edition of Mile High Magazine. And I'm Murphy Houston. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week.